Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Root of BTN.com and we're back with another episode and I know, I think in the last few episodes I've kind of said how we're going to gear more towards basketball as football season is in the rearview mirror. We're going to get deep into college basketball season, but uh, just this time, just this once I lied, we've got another football guest here this week on the show and it's a former Big Ten player and former NFL player as well. It is Adam Carriker. Adam, as Nebraska fans listening know very well, was a star defensive end, defensive lineman for the Huskers in the 2000s, and then also had uh, more than a cup of tea. He had an eight-year career in the NFL with the Rams and the Redskins. So we talked with Adam uh, off the top about his idea to kind of reshape college football to make bowl games more meaningful, his opinion on how he thinks the college football playoffs should be restructured, and just in general how some realignment in his opinion could uh, just make college football better overall so we got into that a little bit we got into some current Nebraska football talk and some old war stories from his days with the Huskers as well so really good 30 minutes coming up with Adam Carricker. he is the, uh, the host of the Carricker Chronicles for the Omaha World Herald so he's got a media background and a playing background and uh, he's got plenty to say as you'll hear coming up then after that, we tried something a little different. We got a new segment coming into the show um, that we hope to do pretty regularly. If you listen to the show in the past, you know we do the stat hit segment with Harold Shelton, which is a lot of fun. Um, it gets kind of in the numbers and a little more casual talk about Big Ten football and basketball. And this one's going to be uh, more casual as we bring in a name you might be familiar with if you listen to the end credits of the show. Um, she is a assistant producer on the Take 10 podcast has been helping me out this football and basketball season. Her name is Colleen Degnan, and Colleen and I will be diving more into the pop culture side of sports and Big Ten sports especially, but we'll also kind of wander outside those boundaries a little bit. We'll talk music, we'll talk movies, we'll talk memes, we'll talk current events as well. So it'll be loose, it'll be fun, and we're just kind of trying it out and seeing how it goes. So this is going to be the, uh, the first edition of what we're calling uh, Call for the Culture. Name's Colleen, like I said. So we're going to go to call for uh, all the pop culture and miscellaneous updates on what really is like the fringe of college sports and uh, sports in general. So it should be fun. First, we'll get to our interview with the aforementioned Adam Carricker. And before we get to that, just want to issue a quick reminder that you can subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast wherever podcasts uh, are found on major platforms such as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, kind of the same thing there, Podbean, Google Play, and you can also find the podcast on Big Ten Network's YouTube channels as well. So if you go to Big Ten Network on YouTube, subscribe. There's a whole playlist category for the Take Ten Podcast as well. All right, so we'll start, like I said, with Adam Carricker, then we'll get to discussion with me and Colleen for the culture. And then we'll wrap up after that. So first up, it's Adam Carricker. That interview with the former Husker starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by a former star defensive end in Nebraska. He's an eight-year NFL vet and a contributor to the Omaha World Herald Carricker Chronicles. Adam Carricker. Adam, what's up, sir? I'm doing pretty good, my man. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and uh, I'm glad to have you on for some college football talk because even though the college football playoff is over, 
college football's over. Uh, I saw you're fired up. You, you kind of want to change the, the bowl for, format and even conferences and all that. So I watched you state your case on your character chronicles about how you think college football can be fixed. So let's hear the condensed version, the elevator speech version of that argument that you made uh, the other day online. I will, I will try to give you the condensed version. There is a much longer version as well. So I'll give you the condensed version. So for me, one of the first things you got to do Right, you got to eliminate some of the bowl games. To me, there's just there's too many. People aren't watching. People aren't interested. There's empty stands. You know, people just aren't tuning in. It, it's, it's just not interesting. It's it's less is more type of deal. All right. So I, I'd go to 25 bowl games rather than the 40 that they have right now, which gives you about 40 percent of the teams getting into a bowl game. So you make the minimum a seven of five record to get into a bowl game rather than six of six versus the 60 percent of teams that are in college football. FBS right now, they get into bowl games at the current moment. So I would start there. Then you get into the college football playoffs, so a little bit of less is more. So I would have four major college football uh, bowl games, like there used to be for so long, all right, instead of the six. I don't, I'm not a big fan. I know Texas won. I know they beat Georgia. Uh, but it's one of those things where I don't I have a hard time with the four-loss team getting into a major bowl game. At first, I remember the first year when they had six major bowl games and a three-loss Georgia Tech team got in, and I was like, why is a three-loss team in here? You know, so to me, you want to make it more difficult to get into those bowl games. I would go to four major power conferences, okay? So you make it harder to get into a bowl game. You make it harder to get into a major bowl game. You make everything a bigger deal. You make it less is more. Everything is more must-see, more must-watch. And then you get into the power conferences. I would have four 16-team power conferences with two 18 divisions. Same thing with the, the group of four uh, non-power conferences. So you have eight total conferences, four um, non-power, four-power conferences, so to speak, with 16 teams. And the one conference that would probably dissolve just geographically has the ability to go elsewhere. The easiest would be uh, the Big 12, so to speak. And just as an example, I'd have Oklahoma probably go into the now Pac-16. So the way I would do it, all right, I would have the old bowl, bowl tie-ins that you used to have. The four major bowl games, in my opinion, would be Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Orange. And you can either do Fiesta or Cotton. I'm good with either. You know, I grew up watching the Fiesta, so I tend to err that way. And I'd have the four tie-ins. So you have the Pac-16, Big Ten, because uh, as much as I love the Big Ten, we still can't count properly. Then you got the SEC Conference, the AC Conference. And so I love the old Rose Bowl, okay? Because in the end, what I'd like to do with the college football playoff is you have the four major bowl games, and then you have the college football playoff after that. Because when you have an 18 playoff, which was what a lot of people are advocating for, all right, the issue with that is you, because to me, you want to preserve the importance of the regular season. That's what makes college football unique. So many other things, college basketball, all that matters is March, NBA. Heck, players aren't even showing up half the time to their NBA game. You know, the NFL, the nine, the Giants have won two Super Bowls with a 9-7 and seven regular season. The Seahawks have gotten into the playoffs before with a 7-9 and nine regular season record. So you want the regular season to matter. All right, then you want to make the bowl games a big deal again. You want people to watch, and you want to find a true national champion, an undisputed national champion each and every year. So for me, I would have the playoff after the major bowl games because when you have the 18 playoff, you're going to get two and three lost teams in. And this year, you know, Michigan had a really good season. To me, they deserve to go to a major bowl game. But when you have two losses, no conference title, no division title, a really, really rough loss at the end of the year to Ohio State, it's hard for me to say that team should be played for the national title, especially when these teams over here went undefeated. All right, a year ago, you would have had a three-loss Auburn team. The year before that, you would have had a three-loss Wisconsin team. You can keep going back. 
to me, it just devalues the regular season a little bit too much. And other than the bowl games that these playoff games are going to be in, you really devalue the bowl games. Kind of like right now, there's only two bowl games that matter. None of them, none of the rest of them really matter that much. All right, people tune into the Rose Bowl. I tuned in, but you know, I wasn't. It didn't captivate me. The UCF game captivated me a little bit because it could have had some controversy at UCF one. So to me, going back to the format four major bowl games, and I would have some of the old conference power tie-in. So the Pac-16 versus the Big Ten and the Rose. And the Sugar, I would have the SEC champ, and I like having the ACC champ. I like conference champs versus conference champs. And then in the Orange Bowl, the two highest uh, rated teams in the entire country who did not win a conference championship play in the Orange Bowl. A lot of times, those teams may be rated higher than the Rose Bowl or Sugar Bowl participants. And you look at the Fiesta Bowl, I would have the highest rated group of four team in the entire country versus the next highest rated team available in the Fiesta Bowl. And then you can take the top two teams after that for national championship. You can take the top four. Um, I've never really definitively come to a conclusion on my own. I, I like I, I like less is more, but I, I'm afraid if you take two, you're going to have some teams left out in certain years. I'm afraid if you take four, you're still going to have some of the same issues you would have after the bowl games as you would with an 18 playoff after the regular season prior to the bowl games. So I haven't come to a final conclusion in my own mind just yet, but I kind of like three teams. I like the top seed getting a bye into the national championship game, two hosting three, and you could do a scenario. And I think one reason people really like the the 18 playoff this year is because it just happens to work out for UCF. UCF was the eighth-rated team. Oh, well, that's perfect. They would have worked out this year. Well, a year ago, they were rated 12. They would have been excluded. A couple years before that, Western Michigan was undefeated, played Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl, lost on the last play of the game. You could have had a Western Michigan problem as well as UCF, and Western Michigan was only 15. So to me, what I almost like is top three every year. One gets a buy into the title game, two hosts three, and then it's almost a flex at that four position. Right, if there's an undefeated group of four team that wins a major bowl game, doesn't matter what they're rated, they become a fourth team in a fourteen play in a fourteen playoff. If there is not, it remains a three team playoff. That's kind of what I tend to like. People don't like it because it's not the same exact thing every year and it's too complicated. And I'm like, no, if you just sit down and think about it, it's actually pretty simple. But anyways, those are my feelings, and I kept it as short as I could. I hope that was somewhat okay. Yeah, I was able to visualize it. That that was good, and I I watched the Character Chronicles, and you had it kind of laid out visually, but I definitely was able to get uh, what you're going for from from that explanation. And say conference realignment doesn't come to pass, or it's still far off if that ever does happen, what would a quick fix be um, if you had to choose something right now? I know you're against expansion. Would you leave it like it is now since conference realignment is down the road, or or if it might not come at all, or, or would you tweak it a little bit even in the short term? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've actually talked about this with Kirk Herbster. He really likes the, the idea that I just expressed. And so the biggest thing he's, he said to me is, dude, you got to get five different power conference commissioners on the same page. He's like, you know how long it took to get a 14 playoff? Like, I love your idea. This is him talking to me. But the problem is getting it to actually happen is really, really hard. And I started talking about, you know, how you less is more, how the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl... It's a national holiday because it's one major game. I mean, the World Series is awesome. The NBA Finals is awesome. But the Super Bowl is unlike anything else because it's one thing. For a 30-second ad, they, a couple years ago, I haven't updated it, just like I said on the show, uh, they were charging $4.5 million for a 30, one 30-second 30 ad the Super Bowl. So it's kind of, if you get 
people excited and you can get these commissioners saying they can make money. That's how the real world works. That's how it'll happen. But let's say it's just not going to happen in the near future. They're just not going to come together. I still like five, four major bowl games. And if you have five power conferences, maybe in the Rose Bowl, I still like uh, the pack, I guess it would still be Pac-12 versus Big Ten there in the Rose Bowl. Sugar Bowl has SEC champ. Now the Orange Bowl maybe has the ACC champ, the Fiesta Bowl, um, maybe takes the Big 12 champ. And then you've got two at-larges, and you've got the the highest-ranked uh, group of five team in the entire country as your three teams. And you just you put as your three at-large teams, so to speak, and then you make the best matchups possible. I still think you can do it with that extra power conference champion in there. And if you wanted to go to five major bowl games because you have five power conferences, I don't hate that because in theory, you should be able to get the top ten teams in the country into your major bowl games. I just I don't like more than uh, I don't like more than four, but I really don't like more than five major bowl games because it, it just it makes the major bowl games not major anymore. And just like when Michigan played Florida, I mean they had four players who skipped it and four of their best players, and I think it you know I, I think it impacted the outcome of that football game. Sure, and when I was doing some research on you uh, leading up to this interview, I, I read your Wikipedia page, and it said you sacked Joel Klatt in one of your uh, early years at Nebraska, and Joel's another guy who agrees with you that four uh, is the magic number and it shouldn't be expanded. And Joel's been on this show before, too, so you're kind of the two guys that uh, I've had in this show that, that don't like moving really beyond the four or five range. Yeah, so Joel, actually, the first game that I had, uh, so I played the Penn State game early on my retro freshman year. I sprained my ankle. It took a while to come back. So we always played Colorado at the end of the year. And the coaches had a really good week of practice. And they put me on our nickel package. And that was still to this day one of the better games I've ever played versus Colorado that first game. I always played well versus Colorado tonight. In-laws who talked so much trash to me that gave me extra <laughs> motivation. But I, I, I hit him like three times. I had like a sack and a half. He was my first ever collegiate sack. So I still have a picture of that. I've, I've thought about tweeting it out to him, but I never have. You should someday. That'll, that'll be good. Um <laughs> And I want to wrap up the college football playoff talk and kind of transition into Nebraska. And a good way to do that is uh, the way Clemson has built their program and their recent championship, their second championship in the the Dabo Swinney era. And I know you you had another one of your pieces focusing on how Clemson has built their program and how you think Nebraska could learn a thing or two. So if you could expand on that a little bit, what do you think Nebraska can take from the uh, Clemson model of building a championship program? Yeah, so Clemson, I mean, they've got, obviously, probably a future number one draft pick, a quarterback, one of the best young receivers in the entire country with Ross. But they're, to me, games are still won and lost in the trenches. And you can add the quarterback position in there as well. But that defensive line for Clemson, all right, they're all going to be draft picks in the NFL. High draft pick, couple of All-Americans, couple, you know, one of the players is an ACC defensive player of the year. And so, to me, games are won and lost in the trenches. And that's where Nebraska, they used to be so good in the offensive line, the pipeline. And you had guys like Grant Wistrom, Jason Peter, just tearing it up on the defensive line, Trev Alberts, guys like that. So we got to get back to winning in the trenches. But the other thing was that front four on Clemson came back for a purpose, for a reason, because they could have all gone pro last year. But they decided to all come back because they wanted to win a national championship. And if you watch that game, and if you watch Clemson, they looked like they were playing together with a unity of purpose towards a goal, and that was winning the national championship. I watched Alabama, and either they are just not there physically with Clemson, which is ridiculous to think with all the number one recruiting classes they have. The only other conclusion I could come to is that their mentality is a little bit different. Some of them are there to win a national championship. Some of them are there 
for three years, and then they're going straight to the NFL. And that's what their ultimate goal is. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're playing a college football game, that's going to create a problem when, that, when you're playing someone else who just wants to win that college football game. So a unity, a purpose towards the same goal, winning in the trenches. And last but not least, so Alabama, I mean, Nick Saban's one of the greatest coaches of all time, could go down as the best ever by the time this is all said and done. I still maintain he's the greatest recruiter of all time, uh, already at this moment in time. So for me, one of the things that they've had there at Alabama over the past five years, they've had 20 different coaches, all right? And this past year alone, they had a brand new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator. I mean, Nick Saban can't do it all. You look at Clemson, all right, over the same five-year span, they've had three coaches leave, and that's it. So it's continuity. It's being on the same page. And, and everyone driving towards that same thing, that continuity, especially with the coaching staff on down through the training staff, the strength and conditioning staff, and the players. Yeah, and you bring up the concept of team unity and, and culture and everyone striving towards the same goal. And as you watch Nebraska under year one under Scott Frost, you can kind of see and sense the culture changing as the year moved along, at least from my perspective. And Frost would say it at the press conferences, especially early on in the season. He would kind of call out what was ailing the program with guys either you know dancing on the sidelines and losses or not buying in or whatever it was that, that were issues that he recognized. How far do you think that locker room and that team heading into year two has to go uh, now that Scott Frost has kind of called it out and the, the team seemed to progress as the season moved along? Yeah, so it was interesting because the, the new NCAA rule where you can retro after four games it created some interesting drama in Nebraska football this year. Our starting running back transferred because after four games, he wasn't playing well. He got benched in Divino Zigbo, who only played the last eight games of the year, had one of the best seasons in recent Husker football history for a running back. All right. Now, you look at one of our, our most talented guys on offense. I don't want to drop a whole bunch of names, but he was the highest-ranked recruit we had come in in a long time, and he transferred that same exact week. All right. It was that very next week. We went out we played Wisconsin. And we lost by 17, but I watched that game. And I was like, you know what? If we could just get a stop on defense, we're in this game, and they're not just running all over us, All right, like has happened in the past. And then you watch the Northwestern game, the eventual Big Ten West champion. And they clinched it two weeks early, by the way. And we actually, for three and a half quarters, significantly outplayed them. And then we gave them the game on a silver platter the last six minutes of the fourth quarter. And then the last six games is where everything started to change. All right. But it was the moment that some of the most talented players on the team left, but there was just a disconnect between that continuity, between that unity of purpose towards the same goal. They had different goals, and they're wonderful individuals, but as far as in a locker room football sense, they were hindering the team. And the last six games, you win four out of those six games. To play Ohio State down to the wire, you lose on the, the last second field goal in the last game of the year. The two games they lost was by a total eight points, and the other four they won, and they looked pretty good doing it. They scored over fifty twice. They won another game by only scoring one touchdown in the entire game. So they did it all sorts of ways, and they were starting to learn how to win and come together. Yeah, and as you kind of ran through those games, I'm looking back and remembering the offense really. Looked great for a lot of the year, I thought. Um, I mean, Adrian Martinez had a lot to do with that. But especially at the end of the year, the offense came along. And as long as he's healthy, I expect it to, to stay that way. But, you know, you're a defensive guy, Adam. You're a black shirts guy. So I want to get your thoughts on the defense. And we saw flashes, especially in that Michigan State game. Uh, where does the defense need to improve to end up building a championship-level defense down the road? Yes, yeah, so you, you started to see the defense – 
I mean, the defense is not where it needs to be, you know, obviously. But you started to see the defense show flashes. Because early on in the year, you were just like, okay, what's going on? And as you were going along in the year, you could see them start to play and show flashes. That Northwestern game I talked about, for three and a half quarters, they gave up less than 300 yards of total offense. Like, every defense I was ever on, your goal is to hold a team under 300 yards. They hadn't met that goal. The problem was what happened in the last half quarter. And then you could see throughout these games, when we played Minnesota, we held them to, they were shut out the first 28 minutes of the game, then they scored a late touchdown. But then the second half, they had three long 75-plus straight yard, uh, straight touchdown drives. And so, and then we, we shut them down a little bit, and then we scored over 50 on offense. The defense would do it, it would play well, and then it would be just inconsistent. They couldn't consistently put it all together. And the biggest thing they need to do to improve is we just haven't been able. So the first game against Colorado, we had seven sacks, seven tackles for loss. I mean, the year before that, we had 12 sacks the entire year. I was like, whoa, all right, we're on pace to do some big things. We just weren't able to do that consistently after that. You have to be able to get after the quarterback, pressure the quarterback. And Eric Tenander, our D coordinator, loves to blitz. Right, but you can't leave those quarterbacks on cornerbacks on islands all the time. You have to be able to get after the quarterback without blitzing all the time. And we weren't able to do it consistently enough, even when we blitz. So you got to be able to get pressure, which is what Clemson was able to do to Alabama. Yeah, and one of my favorite Nebraska storylines from the entire season, just from a unique perspective, was the new quarterbacks coach, Mario, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, uh, Verduzco, that we did a feature on uh, on our Journey series, and he obviously is an interesting character to follow. So he's a football guy, you know, you're a football guy, but I'm not sure I would line you guys up side by side and be able to determine from the eye test that you devoted your lives to the same sport. So what were your thoughts when you first saw him and the job he did with uh, Adrian Martinez? Yeah, I mean, obviously Adrian played really well this year. And one of the things you could see is that he doesn't he doesn't act like a, a true freshman. He doesn't act like a guy. I mean, when he had his first start, that, that game against Colorado, because the game versus Akron was canceled, it had been 563 days since he had started a football game in his junior year of high school because he was hurt his senior year. But he didn't look like that. He was obviously well coached. They obviously gave him plenty enough options that there was various things that they could do, but they didn't overload him. And gradually, as the year went along, and he got hurt, and once he came back and started to be healthy again, you could see that he was progressing, and they were putting more and more onto his plate. And Mario Verduzco was a huge part of that. Now, I've heard them kind of refer to him um, as as the mad scientist on the offense, the mad scientist to the coaches, um, almost a mad genius a little bit, if you will. So he's kind of got, he's got that big cigar hanging out of his mouth. He's, he's got the sunglasses. I mean, he's got kind of that, I don't want to say old man swag because that, that comes across the wrong way, but he, he's got that, he's got that swagger as, as, an, as an older gentleman as he is. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know, you're, you were around football a long time and so many characters in, in the football world that uh, you come across and I'm glad he's now part of that Big Ten family. He's been fun to follow. Uh, Adam, before we wrap up, I wanted to get maybe a story or two from your playing days, something that sticks with you to this day, um, back in, in your in your Husker days, because usually athletes have one or two or a few that, that stand out. I didn't know if there were any that jumped out to you when you reflect and you might tell, you know, around the, the dinner table or when you're hanging out with the guys. Yeah, I mean, there's a few um, that always pop into my head. That my lifelong dream was to play at Nebraska. All right, I played in the NFL, uh, but my my household growing up, everything revolved around college football. That's I, I have honestly 
uh, on and off ever since I was about 12. Thought about how to fix the college football because for the longest time, the championship, how to find the champion. Because for the longest time, we, was, we couldn't get one versus two. And then we could, but not if they were going to the Rose Bowl in 97. And then you finally could. Um, but then there was all these issues with the BCS. And the one year where Florida State got in over Miami, even though Miami beat Florida State in the year 2000 when Florida State lost, I think, 12-2 to Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl that year. And it was just like I put something I've constantly been working on. So, yeah, for me, the first time I ran out of the tunnel at Memorial Stadium, the tunnel walk as a freshman, um, I actually blocked a field goal that game. It was a very close game. So that's one of my memories. The last time I ever ran off the field, uh, I wasn't exactly excited for the game to end again against Colorado. And I was probably the last player, coach, anybody off the field by a good five, six minutes. I'm walking off the field and the North, uh, the North State and the fans and it started kind of chanting my name and, cl- and clapping. And to this day, there was something that was like, well, why are you doing that? That's really cool. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I think back to the to Texas A&M. Uh, when we clinched uh, going to the Big 12 championship in Oklahoma, uh, I remember looking around. So A&M does all these chants, and they do all these movements in the stands. And I had to play the – I got dizzy. I almost got sick and threw up the first quarter because they would move back and forth in unison, and it made me dizzy. I, and so I realized – it's the only state this has ever happened. I realized I couldn't look in the stand because that's what was making me sick in my stomach. So I would play, and then I'd stare at the ground. And while the middle linebacker was making the call on defense or the coaches were talking to me on the sideline, I had to stare at the ground. In fact, our D coordinator got mad at me. I'm like, Coach, I can't look up. That's making – I pointed to what was going on. I go, it's making me dizzy. And so that was kind of an interesting story when we played uh, Michigan in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, if you go back and watch that, they they did – because we were ahead. It's the last play of the game. They're on their own 20. They did a reverse, a double reverse, and then they threw it laterally. All these different plays trying to score like the Dolphins did to my uh, Patriots this year. But they were going back and forth here across the whole entire field, not just like 10 or 20 yards. And so I did about two or these, three of these laps back and forth across the field, which is like 150 yards. At the end of the game, I'm tired. I'm a big dude. I'm like, this is a ridiculous idea. So I go down to our 10-yard line. I'm like, I'm just going to stand here. And so that's still another long ways to jog. So I'm standing there. By this time, I'm just exhausted. It's the longest play I've ever had in my entire life, yardage-wise. And I'm like, and I see the guy running. I'm like, oh, great. i got to go make this tackle. I see the guy running, and then I see our safety hit him, and I thought he went out of bounds. And I start jogging off the field. And then I realize he's still running. And had Blake Tiki not made that game-saving tackle, I forget what it was, about our 20, 15, 10-yard line, I would have felt like the biggest jerk in the world because I would have done all that running and then still not made the right play. Um, but that was one of the coolest things because we were down pretty big in that game for a while and we made, made a comeback to beat the Wolverines. So that was a pretty cool game. So those are just some of the ones that popped into my mind. Yeah, I especially love the, the 12th man story when you look up because that is unique how Texas A&M does that with their fans. And uh, speaking of 12th man, they kind of, I think, Seahawks might have stolen that from Texas A&M or, or maybe the other way around, I'm not sure. But I did want to ask an NFL question of you because you were a first round pick of the Rams and I'm not sure if you you know root for them at all since they uh have moved to LA or how this even enters into the mind of a a vet or a retired NFL player but with a franchise literally picking up and moving does that alter how you kind of associate with a former team that you played for in your mind or does it not really matter to to someone like you well, so going back to what you said first, it's, it's interesting because I've always wondered who was the 12th man first. Was it Texas A&M or was it the C.I.? I've always wondered that. I don't know. Maybe I should look that up. Um, but, yeah, I, associate, I definitely associate more with the Redskins. 
than I do the Rams, just simply because once they left St. Louis, um, I still envision that practice facility. I still envision the Edward Jones Dome where we used to play. And it's just empty, I would imagine. And they picked up and went to L.A. Uh, they they fired the coaches, I think, a year after I went to the Redskins. So the coaches were gone. Well, the new coaching staff came in and they cleaned house with players. They even fired the equipment managers. The, the trainers were all fired. A lot of them had been there since they were originally out in L.A. And they came to St. Louis. And then they, they were let go. So everybody is gone and different. And I still kind of had that allegiance. But then once they moved to L.A., I, I literally looked at everyone in the personnel department, everyone they had, and I found one guy who still, even the owner is different, because uh, Georgia passed away, then her son sold the team. And so there's only one guy who's associated with the organization in any way, shape, or form that's still there from when I was there, and that's actually the defensive tackle that I started with, Roy Glover. He now helps the rookies get acclimated there with the L.A. Rams. And so I don't really connect with the L.A. Rams. It's still weird to say that for me as much as I do the Washington Redskins, for sure. Yeah, James Laurinaitis, who is obviously a uh, BTN contributor. He's another he was a longtime Ram that I kind of want to ask him that now as well because he was in St. Louis for uh, quite a long time. So that's just interesting. I've always wondered that. So what did James say? I haven't asked him yet. I'm going to put it on the uh, the oh, list. Okay. He's not really around um, this time of year, so maybe next season when he's when he's back around, I'll have to ask him. Um, Adam, before we wrap up, I, I want to bring up your WWE interest because I had George Kittle on the podcast back before he was like a breakout star. He was just a uh, rookie at this time, and he's a big Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. I'm not really a WWE guy, but since uh, you know you guys kind of share that trade, I figured I'd bring it up and maybe ask your favorite wrestler how you got interested in uh, in the sport. Yeah, so my favorite wrestler is Goldberg, um, and it was interesting. Uh, Robert, RG3's rookie year in, in the Redskins, when he kind of set the whole NFL on fire with the read option thing. Um, nobody was allowed to interview him. Uh, and I had just started my show back then, which was Fourth and Pain, which was half football, half wrestling. And I asked our PR guy, I said, hey, can I just can I interview Robert? I'm his teammate, obviously, I'm going to give him softball. So anyways, I asked him his favorite wrestler, and he listed about four or five guys, and he listed Goldberg as one of them. Uh, I, I think I put it in the title of the, that show that week or whatever Goldberg saw, tweeted us. So I reached out to him. I said, hey, would you ever want to uh, come on the show and talk some wrestling? And he said, yes. Uh, and then I'll never forget, I'm interviewing him. And I'm talking to him. And you can just tell he does not care about, I shouldn't say he does not care about wrestling. It was a means to an end is what it was for him. But I asked him a couple football questions. Being a former Georgia Bulldog, I mean, he's a very good player, Atlanta Falcons, defensive lineman. These are all things that I liked about him to begin with because I was a D-lineman. His voice and tone and everything changed immediately. And all of a sudden, he got very, very excited. So after we ended the interview, I said, hey, you want to come on and talk football? So he ended up coming on every week that that year, that football season, and doing uh, picks with us, heading into each and every Sunday. He came on the show 17 straight weeks. So anyways, uh, long-winded answer, Goldberg is my favorite wrestler of all time. It was the ultimate warrior uh, when I was growing up. I always, I never wanted to like a guy. Like, I, I didn't want to like Hogan because everybody else liked him. So I liked the Warrior. I didn't want to like Stone Cold as awesome as he was. So I always liked Goldberg or The Rock. Um, plus, I kind of like those big guys that are kind of like weightlifting monsters. You know, that's kind of what I like. I like to lift weights, intensity, raw, you know, all that, all that stuff. So I kind of relate to those guys a little bit more. How I got into it, the two things my dad watched growing up was college football um, and Pro wrestling. Those are the two things we watched. Every Monday night, 
it was WWF Raw, and it was WCW Nitro, and it was, I don't even know if you remember this, it was so long ago, uh, in the pay-per-view era, that you had to go down to your local cable station, you had to get the little box, bring it home to your TV, hook it up to your TV to watch the pay-per-view, and then you had to take it back, but it was done. That's how long ago, I don't even know if most people remember that at all. And then when Hogan turned heel, he, he made himself a bad guy, in 1996, Bash at the Beach, I'll never forget, I'll never forget this to this day. It still cracks me up now that I'm older. My dad didn't say a word. The crowd's booing, they're throwing pop on him, throwing crap in the ring, and my dad just doesn't say a word. All right, he gets up, turns the TV off, unhooks the box, walks out of the room, and he took it back, and he just never watched pro wrestling again. Uh, And he didn't really ban me from doing it, but I knew I wasn't supposed to, too. So I used to watch it when he was in the other room, and his office is right outside of our living room. So I would have Monday Night Football on the previous channel button, so I'd be watching Raw, I'd type in the Nitro. Like, I had the numbers memorized, but I needed to have previous channel Monday Night Football in case he walked out, I could hit it real quick. And so I kind of watched the Monday Night uh, uh, Wars, as they, as they call them, uh, through the Monday Night Football blip between my dad coming in and out of the room. So for me, I never got into Captain America, Superman. Like, you can't really go meet those people. Like, I've had the opportunity to meet Hogan and Cena and Goldberg and a lot of these guys, especially the football fans, which uh, most of them, uh, the guys that I've met are. So to me, I think that's what was different to me. You can actually go meet those guys. All the other guys are just people dressed up in a costume. It's not really them. Um, So anyways, that's how I got interested. That's hilarious, and it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Goldberg really liking football and talking about football because what I remember him from not being a huge WWE fan growing up is him being in the Longest Yard movie and playing a, a football player uh, in that movie. So that, that's where I remember him primarily from. Oh, yeah. I mean, Stone Cold was in that movie. He actually played, a, I believe, a little bit of college football as well. Um, so, yeah, it was funny when I watched that movie because I had interviewed I, I interviewed the first time I saw it was after I interviewed Goldberg. I was like, yeah, there he is. He's probably living out his real dream of what he really wants to do. And they had a whole bunch of WWE uh, individuals or wrestlers in that movie as well. So, uh, yeah, he definitely is a football guy himself. All right, Adam, well, you've been very generous with your time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I need you to uh, give me a, a throw the bones because that's your signature sign off, right? That's right. All right. Until next time, Big Ten Nation, feel big red. All right, thanks once again to Adam for joining me. A lot of fun talking to him. And I always love hearing, you know, former player stories. He had some good ones. Uh, his takes on the current playoff format are interesting. I, I disagree about the four-team layout being the best answer. Uh, I think six or eight would be better, but, you know, always willing to hear someone else's opinion and uh, someone who knows the game much better than I do. Always willing to hear that out. And I uh, thank him for coming on the show and expressing that and, and uh, getting into the Huskers talk as well. All right, we'll move now to our uh, Calling for the Culture segment. As I uh, kind of alluded to at the top of the show, it's going to be a lot of pop culture talk, uh, diving into some of the fringe discussions outside of the, the field and the court, and it should be a lot of fun. So uh, we'll get into it. We'll kind of describe off the top what it's going to be as we, as we talk, and then uh, we'll just have some fun and uh, kind of see how it goes and where it goes from here. All right, let's kick it over to Colleen, see what she's got. It's... Colleen for the culture, and it starts right now. All right, welcome in. It's our first edition of 
Colleen for the culture, call for the culture. Colleen, what are we what are we calling this first of all? It's a bit of a working title. Call for the culture sounds pretty good right now. We'll see how that goes. Rolls off the tongue. Colleen, first of all, for those who don't know you, just tell us who you are. I mean, the audience has maybe heard your name being introduced as an associate producer, assistant producer. Just let everyone know who you are. Uh, well, thanks for letting me join on, for bringing some culture to the show. I work in programming. I am a very dedicated Badger alum, coming off of a heartbreaking weekend for Badger basketball. So could probably tee us up nicely into pretty much some culture that we're going to bring to the show. Yeah, so we'll talk about your, you know, your Badgers and how they're struggling a little bit in just a second. But when you say, like, culture that you're bringing to the show, what are we going to be talking about here? What, what's the essence behind this? We're going to bring some memes. We're going to bring some relevant pop culture. We're going to bring some funny behind the scenes with athletes, maybe. Kind of anything that fall, falls in the realm of Big Ten sports and also in our social media savvy generation. And to give people an idea like of how the vibe is around BTN, this is kind of the stuff that we talk about at our desks. Like Colleen sits across from me. We've got our whole digital media crew in a confined space and we all you know throughout the day if stuff pops up we'll toss it back and forth we'll send links in our slack channels in our skype channels and just kind of have fun and it's kind of what the perks of working at a sports network so i'm going to try and bring everyone into the loop bring everyone into our little circle and uh colleen's going to start us off by letting us know what is going on with your wisconsin badgers uh they were, were taping this tuesday so monday night scored four, 15 points in the first half uh, I know you're very concerned. I'm sure you have to feel a little better, though, because they did make it a game and almost beat Maryland. Um, but, you know, this isn't what you Badger fans expect at, historically out of your, your squad. Exactly. I mean, coming with a 21-point comeback was nice. It was exciting for a second. But in classic Badger fashion, they're teeing me up for some heartbreaking losses here in conference play. I mean, being 3-3 three and three so far isn't ideal. Obviously, my goal is just for them to make the tournament, unlike last year getting devastatingly left out. But Ethan have his back. They're trying to build a squad around him. It's hard. But exactly why. At the beginning of this Badger basketball season, I decided to uh, invest some time into the NBA because I knew that this would come. Yeah, I was going to say, you are a Badger fan because you went to Wisconsin, but you kind of have a random NBA team uh, that you follow. And it's the Portland Trailblazers, and that's honestly a great team if you work at BTM to follow because we look up and down the roster, they got a ton of Big Ten players and, and Names that people would probably recognize. I mean, exactly why I decided to pick the Portland Trailblazers. I did not want to be a bandwagon fan because everybody knows that is a huge you're no-no. Not a, you're not a Warriors fan. Not, not a Warriors fan. Not, LeBron, not a LeBron stan. Absolutely cannot jump on the LeBron Laker train. And so I did some solid research as a very dedicated sports journalist and came to terms that the Portland Trailblazers have a pretty stocked roster of Big Ten players from Evan Turner from Ohio State, Jake Lehman from Maryland, Myers Leonard from mm-hmm. your ILL, uh, Nick Stauskas from Michigan. We've got Caleb Swanigan from Purdue, even though he's not yeah. getting so much PT. But um, it's been an interesting first half of the NBA season. See, I haven't watched much NBA this year because the Bulls are so bad. I'm a Bulls fan. They're trash right now. And, you know, I keep up with, I guess, Big Ten alums. Like, if I – just with – the nature of my Twitter feed, you know, people will pop up and stuff, but you've been following, you like watch the games, you sit down and watch these West Coast games late at night, right? Oh, it's devastating. They are at the 9 o'clock, 9.30 start times, but that's the dedication that we see here. And you have not just the Big Ten guys, I mean, at least 
Portland is kind of a you know average to a slightly above average team, but they do have. Damian Lillard, who's a franchise-type player. You know, it's not just... He's so fun to get behind. Exactly. I mean, it's hard to not want to sit down and watch him. And if, if CJ McCollum is having a big night, if Yusuf is killing it. You need to start like a... Because you know how there's NFL bars in Chicago uh, where you can gather to watch your team. I'm sure there's some NBA ones, too. If there's not one already, you need to start a Portland Trails Blazers. There's like hangout spot, meetup spot, um, bar, you know, do a happy hour or something like Conglomeracy that. Conglomeracy of yeah. any any Trailblazers fan. Rip yeah. City, I'm all about it. All right. All right. So Rip City, we'll check in with Colleen's teams as we move along here. You know, it's Wisconsin, obviously, there's a tie-in. Portland, we're trying to tie it in, and uh, she can update us as we as we go along. Got to root for the uh, the homegrown talent that's, that's coming out of the Big Ten. All right, Colleen, we said we'd get into culture. Let's start diving in because – Right now, I don't follow this stuff that closely, but apparently it's a pretty busy time of year when it comes to Hollywood. Is that, is that accurate? Well, yes. I would definitely say this is award show season. That is amongst us. And it's kind of like the October for sports season. You get all of these different big-time names joining together for week after week of incredible critic content. And you have all of Hollywood celebrities, and they're best-dressed, and... It's everywhere. I so mean, what are some of the award shows? Because, like, you say it's like October. October's, you know, got the MLB playoffs, they got NFL in full swing, it's got um, hockey starting up and NBA starting up. So I see what you're saying, but, like, what's going on now that I need to know about? Because, like I said, I'm out of the loop. <laughs> it starts off with Golden Globes, and then we just had the Critics' Choice, then it hits the SAG Awards, and then come February, it's Oscar season. So, one after another, you know, you're getting all on. To all of the trends of what movies are going to win, the biggest the biggest names are walking the red carpet. I mean, it's kind of fun to follow along. All right. So, in the spirit of the award season, and with it being New Year's and in 2019, you know, we're kind of past that almost. It's it's mid January, but I think we can still kind of hop on the the New Year's uh, theme right now. We're going to give out awards. This is our first episode of uh, some of the best of 2018, and, and we'll do it in the award theme season. So, run through some categories right now. And then we can get to the award winners. What do we got? Uh, so uh, let's should we start with best hype song? Let's start with best hype song because this is very important. If you are at a sporting event, to all the DJs out there, and like a lot of these teams got in-house DJs nowadays, which I'm loving this trend that you know hire hire someone to get the crowd hyped and hire someone to like the marching band's great and all that, but sometimes you just need a hype song that the marching band can necessarily provide. So it's a couple hype songs. Um, one that we've really talked about all year is really taking over and uh, bringing the juice. I think it kind of became celebritized by Purdue with Mo Bamba. Yeah. Mo Bamba, for those who don't know, um, was named after a basketball player who played at Texas and now is on the Orlando Magic, and he's from New York. And so a New York rapper named Sheck West, the song came out last year, but it really didn't get popular until football season this year, and every feel like college football team and NFL team started playing Mo Bamba to hype up the crowd. And I don't know, like, I got hype watching it. I don't know about you. Absolutely. It had that, like, electrifying effect on the crowd, and you could hear it while watching the broadcast on television. We we liked when Purdue um, dropped it when they were beating Ohio State. That was, like night game and it was in the bag and they knew they were going to win and it just came on and you know I kind of got the chills from here. Penn State did it as well they had a cool scene with like the players running off and, and it's always I think important to have 
the students and the players on the same page because they can all kind of sing it together. And I'm sure it came on once or twice, you know, on, on the weekends out here in Chicago. I don't know. I don't know, Colleen. I don't know if uh, you can speak to that at all. <laughs> it was definitely played a few times around the, the local watering holes. But um, one of Alex's favorite categories, I think, here is best drip. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by best drip? All right. Best drip is another kind of hip hop pop, pop culture trend that was introduced to me in last basketball season when Michigan, I think, kind of was first on the drip train here. And now it's like kind of mainstream in hip-hop pop culture, but I was told and uh, actually tutored kind of by Jordan Poole and the rest of the drip gang on the Michigan basketball team what drip meant. It's just kind of in my, you know, uneducated um, layman's terms here, it means to kind of have some swag, some style. You know, you just got that vibe around you. You got the drip. And it's one of those things that you see it, you know it. I think, you know, it might have started like DJ has had long hair last year, but, you know, we've all had these like cuts since like high school. So, I mean, when we, when we got to Michigan, it like all came together. We was all together with it. I wanted to grow it out as much as I could, but I didn't want to like have an afro because I didn't know what to do with the size. Uh, so I faded the size a little bit. Um, then I started doing a little, a uh, couple parts, and then uh, uh, my drip buddy started to do it as well. It's a few of them that actually has it. Uh, Jordan, Isaiah, Ibby, Eli, they all look alike. So you, you know you know who the Drip Boys are when you see them. And I think Herb is a part of the Drip Boys as well. So Jordan Poole and them introduced it to me last year. And Eli Brooks is still on that team. He was one of the Drip Boys, I believe. E.B. Watson, he transferred, but he was also in, in that crew. And Isaiah Livers as well. Um, and now it's carried over to this year. And you hear these new songs coming out. Uh, what is it, Drip Too Hard? You heard that one? <laughs> Who, who's that by? Do you know? Oh, gosh. N- no. It's by uh, Lil Baby. That's who it is. Okay. Yeah, Lil Baby. So, so far, you know, I'm very, as you guys can see, I'm very in tune with the hip-hop game. But uh, best drip goes to Jordan Poole and the Drip Boys at Michigan. Keep dripping and uh, maybe drip all the way to another Final Four. I mean, year. I know. 17-0 starting the year off. Sounds sounds like they're dripping. Yeah, 17-0. Um, all right. What other categories we got? Read them off to me. Uh, we have the best catchphrase that wasn't. Okay. Elaborate a little bit, Alex. I'll get into what happened kind of behind the scenes, but do you remember us talking about this catchphrase as it kind of was repeated by uh, Mr. Tom Allen, the Indiana head football coach? Oh, absolutely. All right, so Indiana football coach Tom Allen has a sign-off phrase. We see this sometimes with uh, Big Ten coaches that they'll give an interview and they'll sign off by saying something uh, like their school's, you know, rah-rah, cheer. Pat Fitzgerald has... Go Cats. Uh, PJ Fleck has Row the Boat, Sky Yuma, Go Gophers. So he, you know, he says it really quick. But there was one that I couldn't really figure out what was going on and what was being said, and that was courtesy of Tom Allen. Kellyo! 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 He would say it really quickly, and I thought he was saying Tally Ho. What he was really saying was L-E-O, and Indiana corrected us by saying that means, I think, love each other or love everyone. So he would say really quick L-E-O, but it sounded like tally-ho. And somehow it got passed along, I think from me, I think I was the source of this, to our producers here. And we actually had our honor talent saying tally-ho because I think I'm I'm patient zero for this because I misinterpreted what Tom Allen was saying. So best catchphrase that wasn't, tally-ho slash love each other. I hope he keeps saying it into to 20, uh, 2019 because Tom Allen, one of those energetic coaches that um, is, is obviously instilling a catchphrase that is award-winning. So shout-out, Tom. Um, Colleen, I'm going to kick it over to you now. 
for some of the best memes of the year because because memes are hot in the streets and never been hotter. Run me through these memes, and um, I know you can explain the first one because it's something we did on our uh, on our air today. Even it's it's made its way to BTN's air. Well, it's kind of a cautionary ordeal now, but the bird box challenge has really hit the airwaves and the internet everywhere with everyone doing the bird box challenge, putting the blindfolds across their eyes and kind of letting the rest take its course. So what is the bird box challenge? Where, where did it come from? For those who don't know who are living under a rock, like how, uh, how would you explain, I guess, where, where does the blindfold come from? It took off from the next Netflix phenomenon with Sandra Bullock, which is absolutely devastating that people are now referring to her <laughs> as the woman from Bird Box. But regardless, ignoring her past de- two decades, three decades of film incredible work. content yeah. that apparently is what now she's known for. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of uh, definitely schemed the Quiet Place uh, essence of the movie of taking away one of your senses. So, what is the challenge that people do on social media? They just blindfold themselves, or they do like a. Um, like a specific task that they have to do blindfolded. It's kind of a conglomerate of sorts. They do. They try to partake in a bunch of everyday activities, and they're ridiculous and super dangerous. But lo and behold, Netflix strikes again with brainwashing some <laughs> yeah. of our uh, generation. I mean, that's pretty much how you know. It made me want to watch the movie because I'm seeing this meme called the Bird Box Challenge, and I'm like, what is it like? I need to watch this movie so I don't get left out on on the meme. So it's kind of genius marketing by them. From one meme to the next. Yeah. Alex, okay, so that please w- elaborate on uh, one of your most favorite recent memes. All right, so we're going to give Bird Box Challenge the meme of 2018, but I think we have an early candidate for best meme of 2019. And it's one that I just stumbled across, like, in the last couple weeks or so. Um, and I think we can play it for you here just so you get a, um audio aid of what it sounds like, or else it won't really make sense, just me describing it. But anyway, on... Uh, the Breakfast Club show with Charlemagne the God, uh, his nationally syndicated radio show. That they have all kinds of musicians, rappers, people on all the time. And Kodak Black, the rapper, was on, and they're asking him about his girlfriend or or um, some significant other in his life, and they asked if this girlfriend might be the one. I hope so. <laughs> and he sheepishly says. Like, oh, I hope so. And so now you can kind of <laughs> apply it to any situation in sports or outside of sports. So if I said, Colleen, you know, is Wisconsin going to get back to the NCAA tournament this year? Oh, I hope so. Yeah. So that's the meme early front runner for 2019. Um, I think we got a solid uh, <laughs> a solid candidate there. And then um, I don't know if it'll top the Bird Box Challenge, but I'm sure there'll be many more to come in 2019. All right, Colleen, before we wrap up, we have to discuss a couple of other social media phenomenons that are sweeping uh, social media streets right now. And the first one is this egg that I've seen making the rounds. It started on Instagram. They're trying to, like, replicate it on Twitter. It's so dumb. But I need you to explain to me why there's an image of an egg that right now is noteworthy on social media. Dumb or not, Kylie Jenner last year crushed the Instagram game with her most liked photo was her and her baby Stormy. Okay. She got over 18... Her baby's name Stormy? Yes, with an I. With an I, okay. With an I, style points. Okay. And got over 18 million likes. And so it's a that, lot. It's a lot. Yeah. 
and some people that clearly didn't agree with that or wanted to see what they could do, the world record egg account came out and said, let's set a world record together and get the most liked post on Instagram, beating the current world record held by Kylie Jenner, 18 million. We got this. So how long ago was, did they post it? Can you see? So that was posted on January 4th. And how many likes does it have now? Over 42 million. million. So it's almost tripled, doing my math in my head. It has tripled Kylie Jenner's record in 11 days or so. And it's funny because I've seen, like, in the Instagram comment sections, which have not been spoiled yet, like YouTube comment sections or Facebook comment sections by just, like, trash. In in Instagram comments, like, people are saying, just like the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead to the Cavs, Kylie Jenner blew an 18 million like lead to an egg. So the egg has overtaken Kylie and it just shows I think in 2019 the kind of dumb things that can grab traction in social media. And she comes back in rebuttals with posting Kylie when she sees the world record egg account and straight up fries the egg. So Kylie clapped back? Yes, she clapped back. So like with a video? With a video. Okay, wait, I'm I'm looking at it now. This is bad audio, but she Literally cracks open an egg on the hot, I assume, California street. <laughs> cracks Calabasas, it open. Probably. Calabasas, okay. And um, fries the egg. So, I don't know. I think the I think the original egg is still winning. Now there's all these copycats that are trying to, you know, get the f- millions and millions of likes on Twitter. People do anything for clout these days, and, and it's nuts. Um, the Kardashians love the clout. Yeah, and this is only, of course, probably just boosting her. Uh, not that she needs it, but boosting her social media presence even more. But Our, with other things sweeping the internet, uh, the yeah, there's there's one other one that I've seen. I think it originated on Facebook, but it's made its way over to Instagram and Twitter now. What's going on with this ten year challenge? The ten year challenge, which Facebook, yeah, they introduced it to try to they to post your 2009 profile picture. So Facebook actually started this. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And to put it next to your 2019 current profile picture, just ten year challenge. Where have you come? What have you done? But in classic Hollywood fashion, you have all of these celebrities posting this glamour shot uh-huh. from 2009 with the, a beautiful shot of 2019. You're like, um, that seems a little unfair. Well, people are age, that's bad news. Like, we're, you know, early to mid-20s. What we looked like at 13, 14 is embarrassing, straight up. Oh, it's completely rough. I was rocking crimped hair with a Hot Tools crimper. So you've done it. Oh, challenge. I had to. Okay. We had to. I, don't, I might not... I might not partake in this one because I look completely different. I think I went through like a chunky phase when I was 13 or 14. Um, As does every endearing sports middle, journalist it, does. It, it, Come on. And every middle schooler does, I feel like. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I get involved in 10-year challenge. I want to do it with some Big Ten athletes to see like what they yeah. look like. Um, we'll see if we can dig up some old pictures of uh, Big Ten athletes. I feel like MySpace and, and Facebook archives live out there somewhere where we can, we can find some. But um, all right, so we have the, the egg and the 10-year challenge sweeping Facebook right now and Instagram and Twitter. I'm sure next week or whenever we regroup here, it'll be something equally um, unimportant but also kind of fun to talk about. So thanks for bringing that to my attention. And before we wrap up the first Call for the Culture segment, we've got to talk about uh, some current sports events going on with the NFL playoffs uh, coming up on the, the conference championship weekend. And with the four teams still in it, there's plenty of Big Ten players on the roster. You have the rosters in front of you, don't you? I want to hear some of the players that we got uh, out of the Big Ten playing this weekend on the Rams, Patriots, Chiefs, 
and Saints and uh, not the Bears. So. <laughs> not or, the Packers. Or Packers. So uh, yeah. we're left out of the conversation. But, I mean, first and foremost, you've got Breezes just leading the Saints proudly as a yeah. newly 40, 40, <laughs> 41. 41? It's today's birthday? It is, isn't it? I, I, or yesterday, maybe? It's one of these days, yeah. They're all blending together. But, yeah, he's uh, chasing Tom Brady for the uh, old head of the year in the NFL. And he's I would say he's the, him and Brady are the most – um, influential Big Ten alums still playing. I don't think there's really even a challenge there. Um, let me read down the rest of the rosters. Another really noteworthy Big Ten alum that's been in the news a lot lately, uh, Jeff Allen on the Chiefs. I don't know if you saw this story, but there's a big snowstorm in Kansas City this past weekend. It's going to be another one this weekend probably for the uh, Chiefs-Patriots game, but Jeff Allen was trying to get to the game. His car got stuck in the snowstorm, and a stranger helped him out, uh, didn't know he was a Chiefs player, Jeff Allen didn't know the person, and it turns out the guy is homeless, um, and that kind of got out as Jeff Allen tried to figure out who this stranger was that helped him. So Jeff Allen uh, got to the game, obviously, on time, and found out who this stranger was, and now they're doing some nice things for, for this guy, I think his name is Dave, um, getting into the game this weekend, and hopefully someone in that Kansas City community like reaches out and helps this guy get a home because you know like yeah the game is great like but you want to i feel like you know give something back long term to someone like that 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 is uh absolutely paying it so forward yeah. i love that but isn't that cool like you know it's yeah. kind of how sports and social media kind of interject and um i don't think he ever would have found out who he was if you know social media wasn't around so some really a uh, noteworthy it's our hero of the week right there yeah no- noteworthy big 10 uh, alums in the news and just reading through some other names um Rex Burkhead scored a touchdown for Nebraska or for uh, the New England Patriots this past weekend. He's from Nebraska. Who else we got? You got James White, classic here. Wisconsin grad. Yeah, did you watch his? Um, did you watch the Patriots at all? He had like 15 catches. Yeah, he's incredible. Kid. He's like he's a captain this year. Yeah, and he's basically a wide receiver because with the Patriots being able to pick apart his own defense like the Chargers had, they can just dump it out of the backfield to James White. He's he's been incredible for them. I mean, he has. A huge moment in the Super Bowl um, a couple years ago. I can't remember which one that was. Um, and then one other guy, I know I'm, like, reading off Illinois names here, um, and I swear these aren't just Gotta local bias times. Yeah, for those who don't know, I went to Illinois, so I have a little bit of background knowledge on some of these guys. But Justin Hardy is a guy in the Saints who is a special teams player. And he's a guy that did not really have a remarkable career at Illinois. This is one of the, like It's one of these weird stories where he – was a wide receiver at Illinois, didn't have great quarterback play, and never really broke out. But he caught on with the Saints at special teams and has carved out a niche and a role um, to become almost a Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl player. He was on the verge of making the Pro Bowl this year. He scored at least one touchdown on special teams, and he's kind of like a, a hometown favorite in New Orleans now because he's just kind of grinded his way to a special team spot, and, and I think it's really cool that Justin Hardy's been able to do that. So. Um, any other names that jump out at you here? Uh, sure I know you got you got some other weekend. Badgers on here as well. Um, yeah, we've got Vince Beagle as a linebacker for the Saints. I don't know how many of these guys are active right now. Like, I know. Th- shout out to our guy Brent Urena, um, our colleague here. He made a list of all the players and posted on BTN.com. Um, so I guess we'll wrap up with some predictions or who you want to win. I, we can either predict or or ask who uh, you know who you'd rather you see in the Super Bowl coming up on championship weekend here. Well, I think also, let it be known, how mind-blowing, how many people don't know that Kansas City, where look, where it is, which state is Kansas City in? 
So if That's people true. can figure that out. That's true. Yeah, I mean, if you were taking it at face value, you'd say Kansas. But us Midwesterners know that it's in Missouri. Um, it's actually the biggest city in Missouri. People think St. Louis is the biggest city in Missouri, but Kansas City actually, I think, has like more than double the population of, of St. Louis. So geography facts. Yeah. So you know, we got culture and geography coming at you on on the podcast. So uh, who do you got, Rams or Saints? Saints. Do you want Saints to win, or do you think they're going to win? I I kind of have fallen in love with uh, Drew Brees' family, so yes, I'm wholeheartedly pulling. They've for the taken Saints. over social media too. They're incredible. He's got all these little like gremlin kids that are like, catching <laughs> stuffed animals in his family room. Okay, so Saints. I also want the Saints to win. Um, I I just think like New Orleans is such a better football city than LA. You know, like okay, fair, but also kind of kind of am into the the storyline of uh, Sean McVay and everything that the Rams. Well, you're you're a Southern California native, so. Well, yeah, but like regardless, that's super cool. He's <laughs> paving the way for someone as young as him to be. Well, not everyone's trying to copycat it too. They're trying to hire these young. Maybe the handsome thing is just a coincidence, but all these young, handsome coaches like the Packers did. Matt LaFleur, um, I'm so on board. Everyone's trying to find the next Matt Nagy. But, yeah, your team's out, the Packers, my team, the Bears is out. I still think the Bears would have beaten the Rams last week and could have beaten the Saints this upcoming weekend if Cody Parkey uh, would have stepped up and made a kick. <clears throat> well, maybe things would have been different. But uh, He's been taking – he was on the Today Show. He's been yeah. taking over the media yeah. world. Let's, let's actually talk about that real quick because I, I did not appreciate, as a Bears fan, him going on the Today Show after his teammates all supported him publicly. You know, none of them went out, out to the media. They, first of all, they all had his back after he was booed off the field. And credit to him, he stood up and, and took questions from reporters. But, like, none of his teammates, like, the actual stars of the team, Khalil Mack, Mitch Trubisky, Allen Robinson, these guys aren't going on this Today Show and trying to, you know, stir up a pity party. So... I know, and it seemed like yesterday's press conference with the Bears uh, head coach Matt Nagy and um, Ryan Pace, the GM, they didn't seem too happy with Parky either. So I think he's not uh, not long for Chicago. What, what, I don't know, what do you think about someone like that going on a I'm, non-sports show to talk about it? He has one job on the team, so I have little sympathy for him, and I don't really understand why he all of a sudden gets to be this self-proclaimed spokesperson for kickers of the NFL. Like <laughs> right. I don't really understand what is. What his end goal is here, but I guess also that's just my um, Packers yeah. bias going against anything. Yeah, it was Chicago weird. Bears. It was weird, but all right, enough Bears. Let's get to uh, Chiefs Patriots. Who do you got in that one? Who do you want to see in the Super Bowl? I mean, I think it'd be refreshing to not have the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Agreed. And I think their whole storyline right now is hilarious. That what are they the underdog? Are they not? Does everyone think they suck? Do they not? Well, here's my thing with the Patriots, and this is a, I've noticed a trend as I've basically lived my whole life with Boston sports being dominant. New England sports fans love to consider themselves the underdog, even though they're absolutely not the underdog. And I don't know if they really believe it. I think they work themselves into believing that, that they are undervalued or that nobody believes in them. That's how, you know, when you stay on top for so long, that's how you motivate yourself. You're like, well, you know, no, everyone wants to see us fail. No one believes in us. I don't know if you saw, but Tom Brady in the post game interview after they won said, yeah, everyone thinks we suck. You're Tom Brady, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. You obviously do not suck, Tom Brady. <laughs> and and it's like Patriots, they're the franchise that like doesn't die. You know, you have to you have to beat them, beat them again, make sure they're six feet under before you know like ruling them out because they're basically like cockroaches. They won't you know they won't go away. And we saw that in the Super Bowl against the Falcons a couple of years ago. And I, Boston's also rolling off of the World Series. I don't really yeah, I don't really want to see them winning anything. Enough. More. So. I agree. I want to see Saints-Chiefs. 
I think that'd be a great matchup. Pat Mahomes, electrifying. And like we already kind of saw, we saw Rams Chiefs in Monday Night Football. Like everyone raved about that game. That's great. Don't need to see a rematch. I don't need two weeks of everyone showing highlights from that fifty-four to forty-nine game. Like great game, but everyone gushed over it when it happened. So let's just get a fresh matchup, fresh faces, like you said. Enough of the Patriots, Saints Chiefs. Let's do it. All right, Colleen, it's been fun. We will uh, keep this moving going forward. We'll uh, bring some fresh content every week. And thanks for uh, thanks for suggesting this to me. First of all, it's um, definitely a flavor that podcasts needed. We don't really get outside Big Ten too much, so it's uh, it's been fun. All about the content. Thanks for having me, Alex. All right. Thanks once again to everyone for listening. Thanks to Adam. Thanks to Colleen. And thanks to my producers, Wes White and Julie Bronder as well. A lot of fun uh, adding a new wrinkle to the show. A lot of fun having a new guest on, Adam Carriker. And uh, as always, it's fun making these and putting them out as often as possible. So stay tuned. Future episodes on the Take 10 podcast. Uh, we'll try and get them out once a week if possible. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes and on Google Play if you like the show. Uh, always good to see positive reviews and positive feedback. So appreciate that. All right, until next week, we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.